Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Are you a parent with a newly diagnosed child with autism? Are you looking for answers on how you can help your struggling child? The online training course, Discovering Behavioral Intervention, is the answer. Real parents take you through applied behavior analysis in 10 step-by-step modules. Learn more at youdiscovering.org and follow them on Twitter at youdiscovering. We are very proud to have Mayor Johnson as our sponsor. Mayor Johnson is the world's special education super source. The Mayor Johnson sale is on. They have incredible, drastic savings on hundreds of products. So go to MayorJohnson.com. That's Mayor-Johnson.com. Follow them on Twitter at Mayor Johnson and visit them today. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Special Needs Talk Radio Network. We provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs and child adolescent mental health communities. Thank you for joining us tonight. And now, on to the interview. Welcome to the Bright Not Broken radio show. We are so excited tonight. We have got a very special guest for you. And we're going to be talking about a topic that is near and dear to our hearts. We are the hosts of the Bright Not Broken radio show on the Coffee Clatch. I'm Diane Kennedy, and Rebecca Banks is my co-author. She is here with us tonight. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Diane. We are excited. Like I said, we, oh, I just can't even begin to tell you tonight what this means to us, to our work, to ourselves, and to so many that we um, just endear to help. And we're going to be talking tonight with Dr. Patricia Gatto Walden. She is a gifted expert in twice exceptional and in giftedness. We're going to get a wonderful explanation tonight of what that word means. It tends to get um, stereotyped and thrown around a lot, but we're really going to dig deep tonight and help you with that. And whether you're um, an adult who was identified as a child and you know what we're talking about, some of the struggles and the giftedness and the challenges and the um, extraordinary things that make you who you are, or maybe you're someone who has just recently come to terms with the fact that your extraordinary abilities may be actually what makes you different. And if that's the case, or you work with an individual you love or care for an individual that we're going to talk about tonight, this show's for you. Because many adults who are not recognized as um, when they're children as gifted or twice exceptional do grow up questioning their own identities, and and that's really where we're focusing tonight. Um, often they describe themselves as feeling like imposters who never fit in, wondering if they're really that smart or they're just busy-driven people. And our guest, um, Dr. Walden, tonight is is um, an excellent expert on the topic as well as clinically she has over 30 years experience in understanding the complexities of giftedness across the lifespan. She has helped creative talented adults discover their own unique abilities and realize their potential regardless of their age. We are so excited that you're joining us tonight for this powerful journey of self-discovery. Um I'm going to call you Patty. I will will be informal Absolutely. tonight. Good. That okay. sounds great. Yes. Hi. Hi, Patty, Diane. Welcome. Hi, Becky. Hi, Patty. 
Oh, Hi. I'm so excited that you're with us. And, Thank um, you. I just wondered if you could share in your own words a little bit about your background and clinical experience with gifted and twice exceptional individuals and kind of tell us how you came to be in this, this field. I'd love to. Thank you. I have been in the field since 1977, so actually over 35 years now. And, um, you know, how synchronicity happens in our life. Uh, I was a graduate student at the time and was a TA, and a professor said to me literally, would you like to be the director of guidance and counseling at University High School for the Profoundly Gifted? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I had no (laughs) idea what he meant. So I went to the school, and I'm not exaggerating when I say literally that day I fell in love. And um, I never looked back. That was it. I entered the field that day and said yes to him. And 35, 36 years later, here I am with a lot of clinical experience and counseling experience. So when I began back as a graduate student, I jumped into the deep end, you know. I mean, profoundly gifted. That's deep end gifted, right? And Mm -hmm. I was an administrator at a school. I worked with teachers. I worked with parents. I helped the teachers and parents understand the whole child, the whole person. And that, back in the 70s particularly, that was not heard of. I mean, I just knew that they were more than their minds, as brilliant uh, as their capabilities were and multidimensional. They were just equally different across their emotions and even physically with their sensitivities, definitely morally, ethically, and spiritually and emotionally. And so from the very get-go, I really was holistically oriented and very relationship-oriented, knowing that my relationship with these kids um, and helping adults to have loving and respectful relationships with them was primary. It was what the therapeutic mode was. So I began back in the 70s, and since then, I guess I would say after that, I got my Ph.D. and did my uh, dissertation on that population on motivational uh, variables of academic performance, which I'll be talking about probably a little bit when we talk about imposter Um And then I opened up a private consulting and counseling practice, and I was lucky enough that I was really centered between three huge um, cities and incredible elite eminent universities. And so people would come to see me because it was such a specialty then as it is now. But even more so, there was probably a handful of people nationally at that point who really even thought about it as a distinctive counseling or consulting or educational focus. Um, So I did that for, oh my gosh, 25, 30 years. And um, today, just and then I'm going to talk about how 2E affects that. Today, I would say sort of skipping forward, I still do a lot of consulting, and that means that I travel. I do national consulting with teachers and educators and um, t- parent groups and school districts, and when I'm lucky enough, they let me talk with the kids. That's the most fun of all. <laughs> when, I, when I have an assembly and I'm telling the kids about themselves and they're going, oh, my gosh, I never knew that, you know, and it's that's so much fun. Um, and I do a lot of conference speaking, which I so enjoy. And then I've sort of flushed out into with adults, focusing on 
um, because I live in Boulder in Denver, and it's very much entrepreneurish here. <laughs> and so I work right. a lot with management and entrepreneurs and CEOs, trying to help them accept and embrace their whole selves for health and well-being, and then to help their staff. And that's sort of a new thrust that's really fun. Um, and then I run camps for kids. Um, you know, highly and profoundly gifted kids, and that's sponsored by the Institute of Educational Development in Pasadena, California. It's a camp called Yanasa, which is Lakota Sioux for balance, of uh, the whole person, the mind, heart, body, spirit, and social self. So, And then I still do counseling, but I don't do the intensive therapy anymore that I did for 25 years. I do more short-term problem-solving, helping them identify their whole being and the characters within them and what's influencing their choices and their fears and identity issues, the goal being for them to really find a GPS system within themselves. Um, when I talk about 2E, that just is, you know, hand-in-hand hand with giftedness. I mean, you know, you are talking yeah. about the higher the intelligence, the more distinct people are uh, from the norm and from the average person, again, across those domains. But what I see over and over again, the people that have really come into my office, whether they're parents for their children or adults or even in the workplace, are people that have an amazing amount of capacity, but they feel thwarted. So they know they're super bright, but they can't get it out or they, you know, and that's like their processing speed. They can't demonstrate it to others or mm -hmm. they can't hold sequences in their mind. They're forgetful of like the stereotypic absent-minded professor, whether they're five years old, 12 or 35 or 55, you know, and so they have a working memory issue or executive functioning problems. They can't plan well and hold thoughts and go to other things and come back and strategize and keep track of things. All the executive, you know, functioning issues, ADHD, you know, I have many people that have had emotional or social limitations with autism or the spectrum, you know, um, having difficulty relating with others. And what I have seen over all these decades is um, emotional imploding or exploding. I've mm -hmm. seen stress and burnout from these anxieties and depression a lot of frustration, irritability. Sometimes it can even lead to hopelessness and self-doubt. So when you have 2E, you have like the two-sided coin of the best, the strengths and expansiveness and capacities, and then something like a something that's holding you back like a harness, and you feel frustrated and angry, and what can happen is you develop a negative self-concept and identity and negative self-esteem, and that negative self-esteem, excuse me, and that thwarts everything going forward. So 2E is something that um, probably predominant clients throughout all these decades have been 2E across the spectrum. Whether they've really been identified or not, that when you see some of these 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 uh, tendencies, would you say, Patty, that that's a good indicator that you may be seeing someone who is twice exceptional? Well, here's the interesting thing is that as a, I'm a psychologist, and as a psychologist, I have only, only specialized in gifted, highly, exceptionally and profoundly gifted, and those are different groups. It's not one size fits all, but different groups. Mm -hmm. And quite often, particularly adults, 
um, you know, the parents come in, either their kid has been identified or they're starting to learn about the innate characteristics or, for example, for their children, you have to have a certain IQ score and they didn't get that. You have to, you know, have certain kind of productivity. They weren't doing that. They're not handing in their homework or they don't meet the protocol of what a special school wants or a program wants. And sometimes the parent is like, but but they have all these different characteristics. And so they come in and we discover, yes, you're so right. They are gifted and they have this twice exceptionality that is preventing them from demonstrating at different times in different situations their mm-hmm. capacities. And But often with adults, they, you know, let me, let me say this phrase right at the get-go. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, folks. That's just the way it is. <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, giftedness is hereditary. Um, it isn't only that. There's nature and nurture, but temperament, personalities, strengths, limitations, passions, all these things have a hereditary component to it. And um, the parents tend to think if they didn't achieve some incredible stature professionally, if they didn't choose to go that way or they didn't achieve that, that they must not be gifted. Or they assume that giftedness is a term, an educational term only. And if if there's one thing I want people to know from listening to our talk tonight, it's that giftedness is innate. Giftedness, you're born gifted and you die gifted. You never outgrow giftedness, okay? And thereby you don't outgrow the characteristics of giftedness. And the fun thing that I know that's true because my youngest client was four and my eldest was 83. And I have worked just as much with adults as I have with children and adolescents. And I know that the very things that I'm seeing and dealing with and supporting and helping the kids to understand about themselves and accept are the very similar issues that I'm helping the adults. They are just in an adult version. But adults are uncomfortable with the term. They're afraid that it sounds elitist. Um, They think that the characteristics that hopefully I'll be able to talk about tonight, the innate characteristics, are things that are wrong with them. They're sometimes, to be honest with you, uh, Diana, Becky, quite often some of the characteristics they wish they could trade in. They don't want to trade in their minds. They love the capacity, the speed, the, you know, um, the dexterity, so to speak, of the mind, the exploration, the deductive reasoning. They love all that. But some of the vulnerabilities that come with being gifted, they aren't a bargain. They're hard. And if you're 2E, you've just multiplied it. You've just multiplied it. So, you know, some people say with tears, I wish I could just be like everybody else. And part of them wishes that. But the truth be told, largely, if we can just help them understand and accept the true gifts of being gifted, the true depth and breadth of being 2E, the magnitude, the the perceptivity, the sensitivity that that gives you in life, if we could help them to understand that, recognize it, and hold it and cherish it, it would change their lives. It would change their lives because it's the beauty of who they are. It's not just the difficulty. It's also the beauty. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we, as we said, there's so much to cover, and so much of this is intertwined, and we, we had this discussion earlier. But I think it's so important, and I'm so glad that you touched on it. And, I mean, it's more than touching on it. We made sure when we wrote Bright Not Broken that we really tried to bring to the front that because you're right about the stereotype, and to us it was what was tied to achievement. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and we looked even to our own mm-hmm. lives and said, you know, yes, on one hand, yes, I think I can learn things faster than other people. I've known that since mm-hmm. I was a child. But, you know, and sometimes we find ourselves saying, can everybody do that? And mm-hmm. you realize there's certain areas, you know, we can excel, we're just, driven to it but then we look at okay that might be great but i haven't accomplished i don't have mm-hmm. that degree i i probably know you know i can't tell you <laughs> and i'm i'm somebody who's going to speak to that and that is and i've i've come to forgive myself that you know it isn't all measurable sometimes it isn't measurable but when we talk about that and a lot of adults who maybe had to leave their careers or their educational paths due to mm-hmm. family um you know whether it's taking care of a parent or raising their own kids but they had to mm-hmm. just set it aside and so they feel incomplete that achievement isn't there but mm-hmm. you know i i love what you say that it isn't you know it's more it's the whole thinking it's what you've accomplished inside not so much what we can measure Oh, absolutely. What you're describing there, too, um, Diane, is we all have a tendency to look at what we can't do. We look at our deficits. Mm-hmm. We, you know, our negative voice is alive and well and and forgifted. Here's another thing that's a, a, a misnomer. People assume that you can't be gifted unless you're good in everything. You know, you ought to be mm-hmm. good in math and science and writing and reading and history. No, 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 mm-hmm. you know. And... And uh, then we have the sensitivities on top of that, which I'm going to get into and talk about. But people process differently when they're gifted. I mean, in the the field of gifted, if I can touch on this for a moment, because we're talking about that difference between the whole person or just developing, like, your talent or in school, you know, doing really well in a certain subject – and I want to tell you something that I did. It was a fun thing. Um, in the camp, it's a camp for highly and profoundly gifted um, middle schoolers and high school kids. And so we actually, a colleague and I, had a session where we said, what do you feel about, you know, the school thrust of talent development? And um, I pulled out, I mean, we gave a presentation on it at NAGC, and I pulled out some of the top things of what they said, and I'd like to just let you know what they are because I think they apply for adults Two, these are some of the ways that we feel when others are only looking to us as like robots, as performance mm-hmm. people, as mm-hmm. productivity-based, whether we're at work and school. And so they said, our brain doesn't work the same as others. We think differently. We process differently. They said, when people look at me as an intellectual, my intellectual capacity only, I feel like my only value and worth is my mind. And there's more to me than my mind. And then another important thing is when they focus on one talent, let's say you're like, you're incredible in math, you know, then they feel like I've got to pursue that. There's so many expectations on me to to go for the math 
when it might not be my passion or I might have numerous interests. I really want to develop some things that I'm not quite as good at. I want to get better, you know. I have more interest. I want to discover. I want to be challenged in other ways. They talked about the expectation of the work performance and that teachers misconstrue that they can do more work because they're supposed to do it expediently. But guess Mm -hmm. what? When you're 2E, generally you don't do it expediently, or certainly you can only do some things expediently and other things not. So, again, Mm -hmm. uh, teachers expect them, and so do adults, expect people to prove it. If you're gifted, show me. Prove it. And if you can't prove it across all those domains, you know, all the different subject matter or in work situations, then you start to doubt yourself. Um, There's so much prejudice and so many stereotypes about giftedness. But I'd, I'd like to tell you from the inside out, because when I'm talking with you tonight, I'm not talking about what journals have said. I'm not talking about what, you know, teachers or other experts have said. I'm talking to you and I mean this sincerely, intimately, from the words and the feelings and the experience of thousands and thousands of children, adolescents, and adults that have told me what it's like from the inside out. And mm-hmm. they they talk about the expectations, number one, that they have of their self, okay? So when you're gifted, you do feel like, you know, you know, just like you said, Diane, I can do things quicker. I can do math really well, and so other kids want me to help them in math because I can do it really well, you know. And so right. you have these expectations, but then your peers have the expectations for you to get the 100 or you to do well. The parents have the expectation, the teachers, the community, mm-hmm. and then in the workplace, the boss. You're supposed right. to be the one that produces the most. You're supposed to be the leader. And this creates... um Oh, I'm going to talk hopefully in a minute about the characteristics of gifted and the innate. But one of the characteristics is perfectionism. And perfect it's just one of the things that's guaranteed. And with perfectionism comes and with expectations come a feeling of a fear of success. Because if I'm successful, you're going to always expect me to be successful. If I can do it, you're going to expect me to get that grade. I'm supposed to be a robot. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter if I'm having a fight with my spouse or my mom is furious at me or my dad lost his job. Life doesn't matter. I'm supposed to produce because of my capabilities. So they have a fear of success of expectation, but they also have a fear of of success that even of themselves, you know, of sort of like a sense of what's my limit? You know, when am I going to hit the wall? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, am I going to hit the wall and then how am I going to feel? And just as much, they have a fear of failure. And because they're thinking, if I try and I don't make it, I don't get the A plus, then I'm not as smart as they think I am. Okay, so you see them pulling back, procrastinating, fear of productivity, worry about it. They they aren't resilient if they do make a mistake or if they don't know something. It scares them. They tend to want to hide. So these are some typical, even just specifically with courses um, or in school or even in the workplace, 
um, that's just on the productivity side, not to mention the emotional and the social feeling different and being alone and isolated and self-critical of oneself and, you know, um, thinking what's wrong with me because I don't fit in. And my peers, they're supposed to be my peers, my age peers, and everybody thinks something wrong, but the people who I really like to be with are either older than me or have my same interest and still generally older because of my capabilities or very young because I love to care for others and my emotional sensitivity allows me to connect with children. So those are just some vulnerabilities that that come along with being gifted. It is it's a it's a two-sided coin. It's a two-sided coin. And you, and I'll, you know well, I was just going to say you touched on the characteristics, and I know I had this in a later question, but it fits right here. <laughs> and yeah. that is, we've had we've had um, Dr. Linda Silverman, who is a um, you know been a longtime colleague of yours, and mm-hmm. we we had her on a couple of times. And last time we had her on was about her new book, um, Giftedness mm-hmm. One Hundred and One, where she talked mm-hmm. about the psychology being important. But I need to to point out again, and I think we probably have mentioned this before, the the very first time that um, we ever contacted her, and she said that we can sum up these characteristics with three main areas, and and you've hit on two of them already, the Mm -hmm, sensitivity mm -hmm. and perfectionism. But I would say the third one, I mean, not that I'm rating here because they all can be your best and worst enemy. (laughs) They Mm -hmm. can be your your best Mm -hmm. friend, your worst enemy. Intensity is the third one. And um, tell us, Tell us about that. Tell us how it's the triad of everything. (laughs) And I will tell you, Diane and Becky and everyone else, Linda and I are very good friends, and we've been colleagues for over 30 years. Um, She and I totally 100% agree on that. We also agree on a synchronous development. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I usually use five words to be a little bit more explicit, and I'd love to talk about each one because what we're talking about now to the audience is the innate characteristics. We're getting away from what the teachers are looking for or what the boss is looking for. I'm going to talk about your inner world, and they are – I will define each one for you – a synchronous development – Intensity, which is in the field called overexcitability, and I do want to talk about each one of those very briefly so you know what I'm referring to. Sensitivity, perceptivity, and perfectionism. Okay, so I think that um, how I'd like to talk about a, a difference, okay, when we are thinking about giftedness, you have to think, I already said this, you have to think of the whole person. Yes, intellectually they are different, but they are just as much emotionally, spiritually, ethically, morally, socially, and even physically with sensitivities different quite often. So when I'm talking about giftedness, I'm going to refer to the whole person over and over again, and I'm eventually going to really focus on the adults here, some of the characteristics specific of what what how it's going to be for you as an adult in an adult world. So what is asynchronous development? Asynchronous development is basically based on synchronous development, and that is that the intellect, the emotions, the physical dexterity, the understanding of right and wrong, and the social reaction to people and others, you know, being able to communicate, is predictable. It is something that a pediatrician, a psychologist, an educator is taught, 
and that when you have a child, you go to the to the bookstore and you get a book that says the milestones that you can expect at three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, 18, 24, 36 months, henceforth, and so on. And that is based on the synchronous development. So at six months, we expect the child to be reaching and eye contact and, and cooing and, you know, um, recognizing parents. And so you're looking at the different intellectual capacity, the physical, the emotional, the social. Okay. By definition, and this is what distinguishes gifted. This is one of the primary cornerstones. By definition, a gifted person is asynchronous. By definition, they are, and this causes misunderstanding and misdiagnosis among all kinds of professionals because everyone is based, the milestones are based on the average. And by definition, giftedness is deviant from the norm. So what does that mean? Let me give you an example using a child. If you're five years old physically, so the body is five, the dexterity of that child might be like a three-year-old or an eight-year-old, depending on their abilities, okay? But let's look at their mind. If they're a moderately gifted person, they're going to be about two years older in concepts and understanding, in vocabulary, in thinking about questions, in observing, in imagination, in making connections, and, and like cognitive leaps. So let's say they're moderately gifted. That child, the five-year-old, thinks and talks like a seven-year-old, okay? If they're highly gifted, they're going to talk more like an eight- or nine-year-old. If they're exceptionally gifted, they're going to talk more like even a ten-year-old, and profoundly, they're going to talk about concepts, even at age five, that is going to be more like even a 15-year-old, particularly things of interest, things of passion, not everything. Not everything. Okay, so let's go back. They're five years old. Let's say they're moderately gifted. They have a seven-year-old capacity in lots of different areas and particularly in their interests and talents. Emotionally, how old are they? Now, this is something that I differentiate because of my clinical experience. When we think of emotion, I want the parent to think of two different levels. Think of the expression when they are upset or sentimental or worried about something. So they might have a temper tantrum. They might explode. They might, you know, yell and scream. They might do different things that seem more like a three-year-old or cry a lot or want to sit on the mom or dad's lap a lot or have a lot of physical closeness. That's one side. Or be overwhelmed, for example, if they're 2E in the classroom. They might be holding their ears or be underneath the table because the stimulation is too much and it's overwhelming them. Um, you know, they can have a lot of different emotional reactions that look younger than, let's say, a typical kindergartner in the classroom. But then the other side of their emotion is amazing sensitivity and, and capacity of empathy, sometimes to people. So they, they're like amazing um, radar of like reading energy. They can tell if mom or dad or the teacher is upset. They just look at their face. There doesn't have to be a word spoken. They just have this emotional radar and sensitivity. And not everybody has that. Not everybody, not all gifted child has that, but some do, a great number do, and they respond to that feeling responsible for that. It might not be to people, it could be to animals. You might see an amazing relationship and depth of communication with animals. So when you're thinking of emotional, I want you to think of the explosion or implosion of the person when they're upset or sentimental or worried, uh, fearful about something, 
and the empathy. So there's two ages. So let's say this child is five physically, seven mentally, sometimes has the temper tantrums like a three-year-old, but also has a capacity to see things and be sensitive and care for others and even care globally, you know, for people across the planet, um, more like a 12-year-old in their awareness. Now we get to spiritual, ethical, moral. And one of the primary characteristics of giftedness is for most people, again, not everybody, individuality trumps this. Always individuality trumps it. But for most people, there's a sense of justice, fairness, egalitarianism, caring about others. It's so important that there is justice for them. And so we see an, an expression of right and wrong. Uh, you will also see gifted kids, even a five-year-old, even a two-year-old, go, you know, their eye to the knee of the parent, a questioning authority of the teacher or the parent if they don't think it's fair. Um, they have a sense of of trusting their own minds, a sense of themselves, you know, unless somebody attempts to break their spirit because some adults are very threatened and think it's disrespectful, This they don't have respect for the authority, but that's not what it's based on. It's based on them questioning the right and wrong of things and justice and fairness. And so we see this all the time, um, concern for others, concern for homeless, concern for dogs that don't have places to live, et cetera. That's more awareness, much more than a five-year-old, concern for the planet, can we not use as much water? We've got to recycle, things like that. Um, so you're going to see that more, again, like a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old. And then socially, we need to look on if they are introverts or extroverts, what kind of social milieu is at home. I'll never forget a mother who brought her 7-year-old to me and said, can you help her socially? And I was just talking to the mom a little bit, and I said, well, could you help me understand what it's like at your home? You know, like, do you have a lot of people over, et cetera? And the mom said, oh, no, 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 we never had anybody over. We're all introverts. And do you belong to any groups or any clubs, or do you go to a church? Oh, no, 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 no. We, no, we are very, my husband and I are very uncomfortable with that. We like it very quiet, you know, et cetera. And, and I, I had this loving conversation with her saying, well, your child's having a hard time. This is what's normal in her life, okay? So right. probably the child is an introvert too, but even the social milieu of the family suggests that she hasn't learned those skills. So by definition, this gifted child is five-year-old physically, is intellectually seven or older, depending on the level of giftedness, is three years old, sometimes emotionally, 10 years old, 12 years old, other times, with justice and caring about, uh, you know, world things and family things, they might be more like a 12-year-old, and then socially could not could be not have the social skills, or it could be an extrovert and be very skilled. That asynchronous development confuses the heck out of parents, out of teachers, and even the person themselves. So that is one of the cornerstones of giftedness. And, and let me just talk one, a little bit longer on the second one, uh, Diane, which is what you were sure. telling that Linda focused on, the intensity, which mm -hmm. is called overexcitability in the literature. In the literature, you right. might see a capital O and E. Now, the important thing to know, and I'm going to give you two sentences on this compared to two volumes, is that <laughs> this is based in, in a theory of uh, developmental potential and ethical and moral development. And so these actually, the backdrop of intensities and overexcitabilities is about people who are not just about me, myself, and I, and aren't just about 
um, me, myself, and I, but I want you to like me. Those are the two lower rungs. But they actually have an intrinsic need to be who they believe they ought to be. They have a Mm -hmm. need to develop into the best person they can be, and they hold higher-level principles. And so the theory is uh, Kashmir Dabrowski. It's called positive disintegration, and people can look that up or contact me, and I can give you uh, places where you can read about it because it's absolutely fascinating for adults to learn this, particularly if I'm talking about you as an adult, that you have always felt this urge uh, to be more, to be better, to grow, to live higher order values and morals than what you see in the everyday world. Um, But what happened was Michael Behofsky got involved with Dabrowski and said, let's find out what differentiates people who have this propensity towards developing the inner being and the inner guidance system, so to speak, to be actualized as individuals and to be of service in life to others. And those who don't, let's figure it out. And so he did research over many, many years and got a second Ph.D., and discovered the five overexcitabilities. Now, I want the audience to really listen because when I talk about asynchrony, when I'm giving a presentation, or I talk about overexcitabilities, I see people crying because it is, oh, my God, this is the missing piece of my life. I always thought something was wrong with me. The intensities or overexcitabilities I call the terrible twos, T-O-Os. They're too muches. So I want you to to just think of it this way. The ways that people think we are too much. So I'm going to ask some questions to the audience and to you, Diane and Becky, and you just think to yourself if this fits you. Have you ever been told you ask too many questions, that you're too sensitive, that you care too much, that you're too picky? Have you ever been told you're too sentimental? You're too idealistic, you're too demanding, you're too argumentative, and you're too much of a perfectionist. Have you ever been told you're too much in your head? You don't pay attention. You need to mellow out, and you're too intense. Have you ever thought, as a result of being told those things, what is wrong with me? Why have I always cared about different things than other people particularly people my age, I feel different than them. Why is it important for me to make a difference in the world? Why do I care so much about meaning and purpose in everyday life? Why can't I just forget it? Why can't I just let go? Why do things matter so much to me? Why do I get stuck on details and needing to know every nuance? Why do I need to edit every word I say before I say it for fear of being judged? So those are the inner experiences of the overexcitabilities. And there are five. So think about yourself. Think about your loved one, as Diane said in the intro. Think about your children. Think about, you know, colleagues, whomever. And see, these are the innate characteristics of giftedness. Psychomotor overexcitability. That is a person who talks a lot, who talks quickly, who their body gets very excited with learning or a passion. Uh, They have a hard time transitioning. For kids that love Legos, they're in that world or reading a book, an adult that's reading a book or an adult that's doing a scientific discovery and just is enthralled 
time stands still. They <laughs> become completely unaware of other things in their life. They are physically absorbed in that world. As an adult, it looks like a workaholic sometimes. They get labeled that. Um, and it's a person who doesn't need that much sleep. Sometimes in childhood or even in infancy, they don't take naps the way other kids do. They're the climbers. They're the ones that want to touch things and learn from their body. They move around a lot. They might have uh, jitters or they might not be able to sit still at dinner, or particularly if they're excited about something. They have to move around or they might pace when they're thinking because pacing helps them to think. It gets everything moving. So their physical being is excited. And as I said earlier, there is misdiagnosis and misunderstanding. So if you are gifted and you have that, you may or may not also have ADHD. Sometimes psychomotor overexcitability is misconstrued as ADD or ADHD. Sometimes a person has both. They have psychomotor overexcitability, and they do, in fact, have ADHD. The second overexcitability is sensual. That's a person who, this is the kid or the adult, who can't stand tags, can't stand seams in socks or holes in something, is sensitive sometimes to light or sound or noise. If they're musically inclined, they might get a sick stomach if something's out of pitch. Um, the food, oh my gosh, they can't stand casseroles. Don't ever let the food touch each other. They eat things sequentially. The texture, the color, the smell, everything matters. Aesthetics might matter. Even little kids will want to pick their clothes because they only want certain fabrics or even colors. They want things to go together. Uh, they might have a passion for food and taste. So sometimes they're very, they're very picky eater, but they also can have an amazing uh, texture of how you know, the palate is so refined. This can look like and be misdiagnosed as sensory integration issues. Sometimes people do have sensory integration issues. But I will say if you or your child has a high level of overexcitability in sensual overexcitability, the OT really would be your friend because it's darn hard to live with that. And people are judging you for it all the time. You go to grandma's and she's expecting you to make to eat what she made. You know, and if you don't, the parents aren't good parents, and then the parents are worried, is my kid not eating the right things? On, 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 on. That's sensual overexcitability. The third one is imaginational overexcitability. The person who loves metaphor, has imaginary friends and imaginary worlds, loves books, loves puns, loves plays even, um, loves science fiction, loves fantasies, loves the game world, the gaming world, and being able to to create things in Minecraft, for example. So yeah. the yes, the imagination, the person who loves to think out of the box, who can't stand confinement, who you know, as a little preschooler, everybody's learning and playing with eight colors, but they within themselves, in their mind's eye, has a they have 164 colors, and you know, so they want to create a game that's complicated enough and intense enough to to utilize their creative being and instead of seen as a leader in that they're seen as uh, dominant of other children, et cetera. So there's lots of misunderstanding with creativity. Do not think you're a child or you are not okay if you have imaginary friends, 
okay? Because sometimes we have a hard time finding likeness. The more gifted you are, the more different you are from the norm. And our imagination can be one of our best friends. It can also be a real problem because as much as we can imagine fairies and, you know, wonderful um, superheroes, we can imagine failure and goblins and robbers, et cetera, et cetera. So the imagination is a two-sided coin. The fourth Mm -hmm. one is intellectual overexcitability, and that's sort of the stereotype of giftedness. It's the person who thinks constantly, who's constantly curious, endlessly questioning. In adults, they question their boss. They want to know details. They want to know all sides of the issue. Um, They want to steer their own ship intellectually and, you know, be at the helm. They can feel bored a lot if they're not able to expand and explore a topic. Um, They're vehement in defending reason and you know, wanting to solve problems, identify potential problems. And this is particularly in the adult world, you're going to see those kinds of things. Um, So endlessly curious, constantly theorizing, metacognitions. That's the intellectual. And the the fifth one is the overexcitability of emotion. And that's the one that people cry about and want to trade in. Um, Because when you are emotionally that intense, you... Uh, take on other people's problems, not intending to, because you simply read them. You have that radar. And once it's inside you, you're not quite sure if it's yours or theirs, so then you have to make them happy or do something about it. So we see this in adults just as much with spouses and children that you feel your children's pain or your spouse's pain, and then you're constantly trying. You take it on and try to make their life better for them, and it becomes a burden in life. Life. Um, the, the, the positive side of that coin is it's amazing as far as being a psychologist or a veterinarian or a doctor because the diagnostic ability, the empathy, the depth and breadth of empathy is so great that they can resonate and connect. And even spiritually, we see spiritual giftedness with people who are emo- have emotional overexcitability because they are able to connect with nature and with what is not seen things that they experience and know intimately, intuitively, but what is not there for the eye. So asynchronous development and those five kinds of intensities are cornerstones of innate characteristics of giftedness that do not go away irrespective of age. The the overexcitabilities like the sensual, you can learn to accommodate a little bit more, but largely you will have these characteristics and these are the ways you have felt judged and not okay for your whole lifetime. I know I, I went on I, and on about that. I couldn't no, help myself. <laughs> no. Go ahead, I, Becky. I was, I was just, you know, going through every one of them thinking, oh my gosh, family members, students, colleagues, myself, um, and and wondering, do you think, Patty, because I know that, let's take um, emotional intensity for or overexcitability uh-huh. for a minute. What you described could also be perceived as extreme codependency to some, some extent, in that that ability to empathize that leads people to have trouble with the whole boundaries, emotional boundaries. Uh-huh. My question for you is, do you think psychology as a field today is gaining a better understanding of the gifted psych- psyche, um, 
or do you think this is still such an untapped, unrealized field? Um, because I think it's to... new. I think it's still, Becky, I didn't mean to cut you off, Becky. Were you going to no, say no, something? No, go ahead. No, I, I, just... I still think it's a rather new it was definitely a new field in psychology. I mean, it yeah. is just now has an APA, American Psychological Association. There's, you know, if we finally do have a gifted category, okay, yeah, that's new. Um, so absolutely, it is. It's been uh, secluded in education, and even in education, it has. There's total myths and prejudice and stereotypes that are so false and so off the mark <laughs> that it, I would say that as a field. Um, come on in is what I want to say <laughs> to the yeah. people out there. It is we need you. We need your message. Uh, we need your truth. We need your life story. We need your joy and escalation and the difficulties. Um, it, it makes me think, Becky, um, of uh, if I can just talk for one second about my woman's group that I had and oh, yeah. maybe read because you're you're t you're touching on it and I've I've got a chapter that I wrote um in a book that we're going to talk about it's called Off the Charts and I wrote a chapter on uh, called The Heart of the Matter where I quote some women that uh you know I I've seen individuals and couples and families and I've also run groups and I ran a group for uh, profoundly gifted women. This is decades ago, but trust me, people still write me, will you please start a group? And it was a 10-week counseling group. Okay, that was the deal. That was the commitment. Three years later, I am not exaggerating, we finally closed the group. Why did it last for three years with two women that had moved over three hours away? Well, one was two and a half hours and one was three hours away because these women said, Never in their lives have they felt understood. Never have they felt okay. They have always felt so bad about their asynchrony as a child and in the workplace. They have felt so bad to be treated like a robot and their value being a production machine. They have felt so bad about their intensities that they always felt something was wrong with them. And so I'd like to read, I have it right in front of me, um, uh, several quotes, if it's okay with the two of you. Sure, of, please of do. What, yeah. Okay, of what these women um, have said. Uh, let's see. One woman in her 30s, This is. these are all quotes. I know I am judgmental. I compare and contrast everything and everyone, but it hurts so deeply to be judged in return. My scars are too deep from when I was a kid. My wounds have such a thin scab that they never seem to truly hear. Another, um, this is um, a, a gifted girl who um, was frightened of being stuck up and arrogant. I can only really talk about how important it is to me to be number one, to, to hand in the best project in college or get a perfect score. I keep that hidden because others will think I care about beating them. That isn't it at all. I just have to be the best or I feel horrible inside, like I've let myself down. The the guilt is overwhelming. Um, let me read this. Here's a profoundly gifted teen uh, who I have cried with over and over again. She said, is there anyone like me? Will I ever make a true friend near my age? Is there someone who will understand me and actually see me I feel like an empty shell almost every moment, smiling on the outside and barren on the inside. And another time she asked me, 
will someone ever love me? I am a freak. And when they see me, they run. Another woman said, largely people don't know me. They are merely sympathetic listeners. I wish I was not such an anomaly. My best friend lives in my imagination. Um, here's a middle-aged man. I had to get the. I had to get past the desire to be told my worth and to be approved of. It is a very difficult passage for me because I had never been taught how to listen to myself. I was busy trying to change my perfections that kept me from others to fit in and to fulfill what they wanted me to do, to be a performance exceptional. I I was too quick to change who I was to fit in without finding out who I was first. And then just two more, and I'll end those quotes. A 30-year-old woman, um, a member of the group, said, what I realized right away when she was talking about the, the group itself, her experience, what I realized right away and was enormously appreciative of was the fact that I felt like we had a common view of life. It's hard to explain because we don't all think alike or have the same philosophies, but we process similarly. Maybe it's a trait of being gifted, but whatever it is, I've only found that bond with three individuals of my entire life prior to this group. It is a unique and healing experience for me to know I am acceptable to others and I am no longer alone. And the last quote I'll read is from another group member. The greatest thing about the group for me has been to realize that I'm not too strange or even crazy that there are women who think like I do. They are also they are also intense every minute of every day, and we don't have to hide that from one another. I'm better able to understand and accept parts of me because now I know I'm not so different. And I, I said to uh, Diane uh, before the program began, we were talking about what our wishes were for the program, and I said, I so pray and hope that in listening to me talk, that the, the audience can accept themselves more, can see who they are in their beauty, and and understand their vulnerabilities as p- case and part of of who they are with their giftedness. And through accepting themselves, open up, not be so fearful, you know, uh, open up to the world, open up to self-expression more, and forgive themselves for things they've done and haven't done. If if that could happen, what a successful hour this would have been, I would say. Right, ladies? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to how I shouldn't feel shame, and I'm feeling shame. And Becky will know what I'm going to say. In our book, and as we uncovered this, we sort of saw this little peek inside of maybe this is us. But we quickly, we were quick to do everything you just described, to say, mm-hmm. well, I don't want to, I'm not here to talk about me. I've got to focus on everyone else. And mm-hmm. when we, so in, I think it's in the introduction, Becky can tell me, it's in the very beginning of the book, only will you find it if you have a microscope and you're looking for <laughs> like one sentence that says, maybe even through all this, we discovered that we're part of this. 
But then That's we quickly right. moved on. We had work to do. And, you know, as you're sitting here talking tonight, I can tell you of all the shows that we have done, we've had so many wonderful guests, and there's so much information. I take a lot of notes mm-hmm. while I'm listening to the guests, but I'm also, you know, here I'm the, the IT person, and I tell you what, Patty, I'm taking so many notes just on things I know I can share that people have asked me, but also I'm taking personal notes. And, you know, if I can be a better person, you're you're right, and I think we're getting to that about, you know, by us understanding ourselves, that allows us to be more effective. And that's mm-hmm. what I hear, that, you mm-hmm. know, just like in writing that book, yes, we had, in writing Bright Not Broken, you know, we had a goal and we had a lot of important things we needed to say, but it, but we need to recognize, and I'm saying this for you, Becky, as well as myself, that, you know, the more we can recognize about ourselves, the more effective that we can be. Mm-hmm. Well, Absolutely. And also, Patty, I just want to thank you for sharing those voices because I think it's very important for individuals of all ages to hear that it's all right to be different because, yes, when you feel like you're um, only seen as as, um, an intellect and a Mm -hmm. performer and that the differences that are so deep inside of us are what make us um, have trouble connecting with others and make it, we long for those connections, and yet we're unable to get them a lot of times in our workplace or in our classroom or, or wherever we are. And to, to finally recognize why and to hear that that's part, it's a, it's a painful part, but it's a normal part of giftedness. And that in recognizing the beauty of who we are and our differences and our intensities and, um, you know, acknowledging that, yes, parts of this will be painful, we can let in the beauty and the joy because so oftentimes I don't know how many people really experience the joy of giftedness. And, That's um, so right on. Well, I, I hear you. Something my that... Hope. Absolutely, our, our I agree. Tonight heard. So. Those were those were exceptional testimonies, and I'm sure <laughs> through the years you you probably you could you could make a photo book of of you know just the emotion because it's it's got to be there. They're so intense, and you know each person has their own story, but the intensity of their emotion is what seems to be the common thread of what Becky was describing not fitting in and you know and it is an important area and before we move on on to okay let's you know let's find our joy we have to identify and recognize and you know we used this word last night and I know that we talked about it with um, Jim Webb has been on the program, Dr. Webb, and mm-hmm. his latest book talks about about this, and Becky can speak to that, but you use the word existential depression, mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing that mm-hmm. word right. It was a new word Existential. For 
Mm-hmm. Right. But and when you said, you know, at first when we were talking about it, I thought, you know, sometimes the words can escape me, but with the moment you said, it really is questioning, does my life have meaning? Oh, hit me mm-hmm. like just it just knocked me over because mm-hmm. that is such a, and questions like we're describing and what I heard in all of those testimonies, will I ever be good enough? And mm-hmm. you know, that that dynamic is so central and needs to be addressed or something that Linda quotes and I'm Becky could probably help me know who said it but Linda quotes it often about you have to be careful or the gift can turn on itself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I would say that's what we're talking about when we talk about this this specific kind of depression so speak to us a little bit about that and how we how we recognize it so we can be preventative well, um, it's very easy to recognize because uh, the person, uh, you know, there's signs of depression is really an imploding, okay? Um, and so the person has self-loathing. Uh, they feel that, that they don't have much to offer, that what they have to offer isn't enough. Um, generally with existential depression, when they usually are aware of their gifts, so they know that they have amazing capacity, but they see such horrors and atrocities in the world, and they don't feel that the, the I, the singular person, can make enough of a ripple effect, can do enough. <clears throat> and then, and, and for kids, it's like here they are locked in school, you know, and they're in the third grade, and, and the tsunami hits. Okay, mm-hmm. and they're they're worried. I mean, I had kids worried and crying. Well, what are they going to do? They don't have a home, and what are their pets going to do? And you know, in their age appropriate sort of ways, in their mentality ways, they were thinking, "Oh my gosh, this isn't okay." There's so much chaos in the world, and there's so much horror. And by the way, please be careful, parents, uh, if you're an adult and sensitive emotionally, and also with your teen and child. Please don't be listening to this catastrophic news that is hyped mm-hmm. up. Um, because they take it in and they feel that we can't make a shift. Now, there's that part of the coin, and then it comes back to every day. School can be meaningless for gifted kids. The higher the intelligence, the more they feel they're imprisoned. They already know the stuff. They, you know, if they're if they're just gifted and they're in a regular classroom, uh, let me give you this very quickly because I think it's going to help you understand existential depression too and how it can be more intense the higher the intelligence when the person feels they have more capabilities so they have to make more of a difference in the world. Otherwise, they are meaningless and their life is meaningless. So if every person, this is a metaphor, if every single person was a television set, I want you to imagine the bell shape curve quickly in your mind and imagine that average, that mean. So the most people, the highest point on that, they have three channels to their television set. And that means they have three channels coming in intellectually and three channels going out, three channels coming in emotionally and three channels going out, three channels ethically, morally, they don't question as much, they go along with others, et cetera, et cetera, affecting the entire person. Go two standard deviations above that norm, you're at the gifted range, the beginning moderately gifted. That individual has minimally 100 channels. 
signals to the television set. And there is no on and off switch. So intellectually, emotionally, ethically, morally, spiritually, socially, looking at what people are doing, what they aren't doing, agreeing and disagreeing, questioning things, worrying about things, depth and breadth of caring of what they see when they're in the classroom and they're taught to three-channel means, what are they doing with 97 other channels, okay? They're daydreaming. They're doing something else. They already know the material. So the worst thing that could have ever happened was no child left behind. But now let's go for the gifted. Now let's go to the next standard deviation of highly gifted. It is not additive. So when you go from the average, which is three channels, the gifted has 100, and so they're deeply feeling that they have 100 channels. They ought to be able to do something with it. How can they affect the world? You go to the next standard deviation above of highly gifted, and they have 5,000 channels. If they're in the regular classroom, there is no meaning to that material. Okay, they already know it, and and there are so many problems in the world and so much complexity, and they're looking at nuances that they're taking it on. You know, they're trying to figure out problems. This is what adults do. This is what gifted adults do. They foresee problems that other people don't even see that there is a problem. Okay, and they and they feel personally responsible for making a difference. When you go one more standard deviation above to the exceptionally, you have fifty thousand channels every second of every day. And when you go one more standard deviation to the profoundly gifted, and some measurements don't even go that high, so the exceptional and profoundly are put together, you could have upwards to five hundred thousand channels. Mm-hmm. Now, the You're not just thinking intellectually, but even if you're conceptualizing intellectually, think about that on an emotional plane. Think about that on uh, sensitivity and perceptivity of what's going on in the world, what the world needs. Um, And you understand that does, does life itself have purpose? Why am I here? And that's the fundamental question. And I I want you to know that I have actually asked kids that question. I asked an entire assembly of 600 kids and a whole school district of middle schoolers and high school, and they wrote down their answers. And I'm going to read to you the questions that I actually asked them to answer for them to understand that meaning and purpose come has got to be daily. You have to feel that your life there's a reason for living and breathing right now in this moment. And so I had them answer these questions. Can I read them to you? Sure. They, they're, they're the ones that I think are so helpful in uh, adults, all of us, finding our way, coming back to our voice, not being a people pleaser, not trying to think in the outside world, but come from an inner place of knowing. And these are the questions. These are the ones, Becky, I was trying to send to you. They are, when am I most alive? What brings me personally the greatest joy? What makes my heart sing? What do I really care about? Now we're getting into the daily, what do I care about? So you notice that I started with one of my most alive and the greatest joy in heart sing for them to not be despondent, but to look at what are, it can be the sunset. It can be the colors of the fall sky. It can be my baby brother when he smiles. It can be a good cup of coffee in the morning, you know, Um, (laughs) 
pick the things that we enjoy and bring us great joy. So then we're to, what do I really care about? Now we get to the deeper part. What do I care about? What do I truly believe is essential? Now, you answer that question, essential in everyday life and essential in the world. What does this world really need? Who needs me? And the last one is, how may I be of service? And I I gave a presentation to the kids. It was called Listening Within, the Call to Meaning Through Service. And so we focused on what's essential, what do I care about, what does the world need, who needs me. And when they got to that question, they were answering, my mom needs me to do the dishes, my sister needs me to help with her homework, my friend needs me to listen because she's so upset, you know, my, you know, my, my, my church needs me to do something or else. And they started realizing that their life mattered to others, that what was essential overall, I wrote an article on this, was love and communication and caring about others. And how can I be of service is demonstrating that love and caring to really <laughs> be giving of who I am to be of service to others in the world. When we feel that way, we we feel that life has meaning and purpose, and we don't have existential depression. We don't feel alienated and disconnected and alone. We feel connected. So those questions are part of a map to get out of that. Oh. Well, Patty, and that's so beautiful because I teach a group of advanced teens and um, in a school where we have a lot of poverty. Mm-hmm. And so um, these these students experience a lot of, of responsibility and a lot of depression. And today, after our conversation last night, I asked so many of them, uh, how many of you think about your place in this world and what you need, what you want to do, or are you going to make an impression? Because we're reading a novel, and, and the central question is, um, do I dare um, create a ripple in the universe? So we're mm. looking at that theme. And, to, and my tagline to get my students' attention is, all right, beautiful people, let's get started. And... Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> they start realizing through this. Um, today, I got so many hands raised, and when I shared with them that just by virtue of wondering that, that's a sign that you are gifted, regardless mm-hmm. of what your test scores say, regardless of what your economic status, regardless of mm-hmm. what happens at home. You're thinking deeper than most people do. And then we started talking, you know, and it was just, it was really nice because it got us into where the the novel is right now. But mm-hmm. long story short, those questions are just awesome for getting them to think about what their value is, regardless mm-hmm. of what their circumstances are. And I, I do have a heart for, for underprivileged mm-hmm. children who are gifted. I think we... I think that they just have so much going against them. Um, 
And um, when we're fortunate enough as parents to recognize our own children's giftedness and then to recognize our own, that's just an incredible blessing. No matter how much pain we go through and we have to acknowledge and the scars and the wounds that we carry, but I think there's so many who are not fortunate enough to have someone recognize that. And so Mm -hmm. as you were sharing, I'm just so grateful for your service to these middle schoolers and high schoolers who need people to help tap them and say, look, (laughs) you are precious and you are are worthy and you, you have a tremendous, tremendous gift that you can use in the service of others. So I just wanted to thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your experience there, Becky. Yeah, you know, please, folks, please know that giftedness, the number of people that are gifted, there are equal numbers of people that are super wealthy and super poor. And -hmm. no matter what color, the numbers of gifted and 2E is, you know, they are everywhere. It isn't. You know, it isn't about privilege. Giftedness is not that at all. Not that at all. It's exactly what Becky just said. It's the value of the person. It's the intensity and asynchrony and, and you know, personal striving and sensitivity and perceptivity. That's what giftedness is about. It's the inner person, the inner being. There's so much I don't even know if I can speak. I'm going to need another session just to be able to answer that. Um, I'm I'm thinking about about Temple. Temple's coming to my mind as you were speaking about so much and, you know, her involvement in this work. And her, I think that this work, Patty, I really believe it. I think Becky could say so as well, that our book, Bright Not Broken, but the purpose of what we wanted to do to bring forward being bright and not broken and also not necessarily labeled or handicapped by our label was so significant and so significantly personal to Temple because Mm -hmm. she's been, she's grateful for being able to help and identify with autism. Don't get me wrong there. She's helped so many countless people understand autism from the most severely cognitively impaired to the most able, but Mm -hmm. as a as a personal statement, everything you have just said, I think Temple feels like, and I know she would be right on board with, your life has got to have meaning. If anyone has seen her movie where she says, I want to know that my life would have meant something because I I had a purpose, because I mm-hmm. left something, some way to help others. I mean, that is so significant to her. But she often says about, and she's very concerned lately, about people getting sort of hiding or hung up on their labels. And she says, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to be thought of as a person with autism first. I want to be thought of as what I love, that I'm a doctor of animal science. That's my, Mm -hmm. not just her career, but her passion. That's her area of interest. And she Mm -hmm. said, and then I am a person with autism, and I understand the challenges, but she always wants to be thought of as, you know, what makes her her. And I, I never realized, I mean, I did know how important that was, but as we were speaking right now, it became so significant, I think, mm-hmm. that 
Do you see what I'm saying, Becky? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. And I I think that's just profound because, you know, so many people still could look at someone like Temple, especially a temple, a, a type of temple in, in her early stages where the giftedness was hard to see. And yes. I think that when we talk about the asynchrony, you know, and how how we feel – you know, and and the gifted person feels like nobody understands me, I don't fit in, but how mm-hmm. much more so, you know, even with someone like Temple who from a very early age could not even communicate verbally. Exactly. So it, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's just compiled, and you said this earlier, you know, the level of, of challenges that go with that asynchrony. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I think asynchronous in that definition you gave tonight is probably the absolute best definition of twice exceptional I've ever heard. Exactly. I, mean, I, I agree. I knew the word, but the way, you know, of course we know it, we've written about it, we've studied it, but the way you described it, we really mm-hmm. could say that is the definition of twice yes. exceptional. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'm delighted. I agree with you wholeheartedly because look at, you know, with some with some difficulties, with some issues, there isn't a lot of progression. So the asynchrony as the person ages sometimes even gets vaster. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. If right. they can't develop in some capacities, um, it, the asynchrony becomes even more evident. And it's, again, it's the things that differentiate us from others that we're judged on all the time and misjudged on, misunderstood all the time. And that level of pain and suffering and frustration with that and then how it affects our self-esteem and self-concept, which are two different things because self-esteem is based on what others have told us and what we integrate from others. But self-concept is based on what we say to ourselves about ourselves, how, you know, how we feel, you know, how, how much progress we feel we've made in life, how important, what is our value. That's our self-concept and our self-identity. And when they both get harmed, the person goes in hiding, you know, irrespective of age. The person goes in hiding. Well, and it's it's the it's the sentence, and we could we could end it, and we've heard it from everyone, from children to parents to adults themselves to even the elderly who have recognized that. Gosh, I didn't even put these two things together till you helped me see this. And that sentence is this, and it's where they're judging themselves, and they know that the world is judging them, and it, it's worse mm-hmm. the more you age. And the sentence mm-hmm. is this, if I am really that smart, then why why am I broke? Why am I lonely? Why am I sad? Why am I unfulfilled? Why am I... <laughs> we could mm-hmm. We could keep with that because... It's the dichotomy of that thought process. If you don't get it, it worsens with age. The gift doesn't lessen, but the problems implode more. Am I right about that? Oh, exactly. That's so well said. I love it. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So well said. Thank you. Because 
you know, we and we're not going to get it's like being in a tailspin and we can't get out of it until we have the right perspective from the inside out, mm-hmm. which is what I think is your gift. You're not just another great therapist or another great psychologist. You you have just a beautiful gift and a treasure of not only explaining this, but of helping others to see their way out and that that's really what they what everyone wants help me out so that i can be preventative and and then i can be the best i can be and like becky said i can live the most fulfilled joyful life mhm you know diane and, and becky and you know i'll speak for me too i was thinking what you both do, and Becky as well as you as a teacher, when we see the beauty in 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 this strife, in the pain, we see the gifts. Sometimes it's called gifted, but we see the gifts along with the strife, and we love them for the whole package. It enables them to love themselves more. Even one person and those teachers and, you know, you as a teacher, Becky, can, I mean, I've cried talking to teachers about what kids have told me that they were the one that changed their life. You know, if their home was not a home of safety and security Um, and many people live in that kind of a home and you're back to the basics even of of real life, right, of Mm -hmm. difficulties and pain and torment and and uh, if someone can see the worth and the beauty and love and cherish that, when we can reflect it back, because it's there, it's the golden core, it's the beauty of who they are, then maybe they can have some hope through our eyes and our love of loving themselves. Yes, yes, and um, and you know what? Um, maybe uh, you know if, if we're nothing more than a mirror for people, um, just letting them see themselves. And I'm not talking we especially teens. Well, no, I have to even say in the workplace, uh, there's just a lot of, for one of a better term, bullying and judgment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because of people's differences. And um, to me, that's almost like a carnival mirror that develops that self-concept. Um, and 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 so, if if there can be one person, just as you do for for so many thousands of people, Patty, that um, who reflects an accurate reflection, that that can that that maybe hey maybe that's the clear me, that's the real me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so grateful for your work. Thank you so very much. Your we, wisdom, your spiritual gifts, your emotional intensity too. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Your, your passion. <laughs> I'm so grateful for it, Patty. Because without it, without it, you wouldn't you wouldn't have have served so much. So thank you so very much for sharing. Absolutely. You. We, we we are just in your debt um, for sharing this with this wisdom with us tonight and all of your experience sharing um, your stories and your testimonials and I you know I had mentioned in our questions our talking points here tonight that we just may have to make this a series and I know that's happened actually <laughs> literally happened to Mary Ann lots of times but I've, I've already I've got little notes over here I think we need um, maybe gender specific. Um, 
yeah. uh-huh. talk. Maybe we could uh-huh. we could have, you know, um, I don't know it'll go on for three years, but maybe three sessions at least we can talk. <laughs> Women, we need to talk. We have about. plenty to talk about. <laughs> There's a I lot mean, of things can... yet untouched, correct? Yeah. Right, right. Yes. We've got women and, and all, you know, there's there's yes. moms in there and there's, you know, their role as mothers and so many women in our life and I'm I'm going to I'm going to bring her up because I just the whole time and I can't wait for her to hear this and it's Marianne Russo who is oh, yes. just our dear treasure who has started this Coffee Clutch network Marianne's heart is as big as the ocean that she lives mm-hmm. on <laughs> and mm-hmm. in uh, in wonderful Long Island and Marianne is just one of those people too I mean she has spent a lifetime helping her children who have had wonderful gifts and special needs like ours. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. as a person, we we tend to deny ourselves sometimes. And I just want her to know tonight, as she's listening to this, that she is one of our poster our poster women yes. for a gifted person <laughs> who's living her life to serve others. And beautiful. It's it, she's an awesome mentor, and we're we're thankful. Without her, we wouldn't have this program, and we wouldn't have the opportunity to have you on. But thank you so we... much for this evening. I hope I get to meet her someday. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm sure, I, I, we'll yeah. all show up at a conference together. She's yes, she's we been, will. We're getting her out in the public more with the coffee clutch. But before we go, I just want to make sure that you mention. Um, that mention the books again that your chapters are in, and also tell us um, about your website. And okay. we know we know you're brand new to social media. We're going to help you. You are on Twitter <laughs> and Facebook, but you're a newbie there. So, oh, but give so us bad. your website and the books. Yeah, that's okay. okay. <laughs> thank you. I, I need lots of encouragement, Diane. <laughs> okay, there's um, uh, two books that uh, have chapters that are, are more recent books, and they're magnificent, really, because they're a conglomerate of people in the field of gifted, all of whom have an enormous amount. Of experience, and I was honored to be asked to contribute to both books, and so I bring in, um, you know, my information. The first is called Living with Intensity, and it's edited by Susan Daniels and Michael Pihovsky. Um, and so it's Living with Intensity. Michael is the man that I told you about that worked with Dabrowski, who is the one who actually discovered and named the overexcitabilities along with Dabrowski. And um, so I have a chapter in that book called Living One's Spirit Song. And they asked me to write it for adults because the book, the neat thing about that book uh, for all of the listeners, and it's like a have-to book. It's like you have to put it at the star there. It's a have-to book. Um, It goes from childhood to adolescence into adulthood. So it helps you understand intensity in your children or even when you were a child and you'll recognize yourself and then as a teen and as an adult. My chapter is on spiritual giftedness because one of my – greatest, oh, I don't know, focus of life is uh, connectedness, spiritual connectedness and emotional connectedness. So emotional and spiritual giftedness are two two things that I focus on greatly, and I talk about three adults. It's sort of like um, really defining it and talking intimately about what it's like to live that way. The second book is called, it's brand new, um, it just, just came out, it's called Off the Charts, 
and it's about asynchrony. And it says asynchrony in the gifted child is the subtext, but it really shouldn't say gifted child. It should say asynchrony and being gifted because, again, I'm talking about adults in mine. It is edited. Again, it's a conglomerate, and it's edited by Christine Neville, Michael Pihovsky, that's same Michael, and Stephanie Tolan. Um, those are three colleagues of mine and dear friends. And my chapter is called Heart of the Matter, um, where I really talk about the deepest characteristics, not just a list, but um, the things that really come with being gifted and highly and even profoundly gifted, some of the things that that matter in our lives um, and ways of living life, what happens, the, the pros and the cons, both. So that chapter is called Heart of the Matter. And my website is www.patriciagattowalden.com and you can put a dash between Gatto Walden or you can run them together. My email is on there as well as my phone number and I live in uh, the Boulder, Denver area most of the time but also on the beach as well in Florida on the East Coast in Amelia Island so I have offices both places and you can reach me through the website and through my email. Wonderful. I'm so glad. You, Becky, were you going to add something there? No, not at all. I was just okay. um, just thanking, just grateful, and hope people will take advantage of the opportunity to get in touch with Patty. Absolutely. Thank and you. I'm, I'm convinced if you will um, return, we're going to have a follow-up conversation to this. That'd be great. That'd be great. Awesome. I awesome. think we're I, I think we're going to have a, we're going to have a lot of response because this is such an important topic and you know as adults whether we're parents or um you know we're in the life of a gifted child somehow and we're gifted ourselves it's it's that phrase they always say put your own oxygen mask on first and <laughs> that's right that's right for Diane those, for those parents they you know we we've got to take care of ourselves and we did that tonight. I hope that um, this message will be helpful to those listening. And once again, on behalf of the Coffee Clatch, I just thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I've so enjoyed it, and I I just hope that everyone is blessed. Everyone is blessed from our interchange. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Good night, and have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Good night. Good night.